world is talking. The Italian sounds much nicer. He's content to be a jerk. He doesn't care who knows it. This is the Shut Up, You're Always Talking podcast with pizza artist Eric John. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show today. This is Shut Up, You're Always Talking, and I am pizza artist Eric John. Uh, Before we get into the show today, I want to tell you about my friend John Scambato over at Yacht Club Soda. Yacht Club Soda is making the best artisan sodas in the entire world. Um, There's really no debate. I've had lots of different kinds of soda. I love soda. I love all different kinds, but really, when it comes down to it, the best soda in the entire world is Yacht Club. You can go to YachtClubSoda.com and get some for yourself today. They've got all kinds of flavors. They've got blue raspberry, lemon lime, orange cream. I've listed the flavors so many times on this podcast. Um, You can go to the website and check out all of them. There's so many, and they're all incredibly delicious. There's nothing better during the summertime than a nice cold Yacht Club soda. So go today and order some for yourself at YachtClubSoda.com. All right, today on the show, I'm flying solo today. Um, I saw this interview with Elon Musk and Bill Maher. Um, Now, whether you love Elon Musk or you hate Elon Musk, uh, he's an incredibly interesting guy. Um, and it was a pretty interesting interview. Uh, you know, Bill Maher is a decent interviewer. Um, you know, he's not the best, um, but he's pretty good. And um, I thought it was an interesting interview. So I thought I would play it um, and give you my thoughts on it today. Um, so let's jump right into it. My first guest is the man who made electric cars a thing and is currently working on perfecting reusable rockets, space travel, connecting the human brain directly to computers, connecting cities with electromagnetic bullet trains, the Starlink satellite system that's so important to the war in Ukraine, and then on Tuesday. <laughs> he's going to work on that tunnel thing on traffic. He also tweets a lot. Elon Musk, ladies and gentlemen. Nice reception there for Elon from the crowd. Uh, he is a busy guy. Um, I mean, obviously, he's not heading up all these things by himself. You know what I mean? He's, you know, he's got people, project managers um, who are going all over all these different projects. But it's pretty amazing all the different things he's got his hands into. I mean, you know, um, and that being said, people think these super billionaires just lie around on yachts all day. Um, you know, he's a, he's a pretty busy guy. Most of them are pretty busy. Um, they're working in some capacity or another. You know, they're not there on the assembly line banging out metal to build Tesla cars. But, I mean, he's working. He's working 14-hour day, long days. Um, and I think he even gets into that a little bit. So let's keep playing. Look at you. <laughs> wow. But did I get the uh, full order of things that you do in a day there? When I was reading there, I left out the tunnel thing at the end. Um, uh, do, you, do you work on yeah, all these A things? lot of jobs. Do you do all these things every day? Do you work on all of them in a single day? No. No. Uh, but I do have <laughs> I do have a long work day. Um, yeah. So I work a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so thrilled you're here because, you know, we do a show where we talk about what changes happen in the world, and, but we just talk. There's a very few people who actually make change happen. You are one of those people, probably... Um, you know, I just want to say I, I just want to say I love this audience. 
<laughs> well, you, well, you're a likable guy. I mean, I mean, I they, mean yeah. they attack you a lot. They do. You know, Elon is a likable guy. Like, I, I find him likable. Um, I think he's pretty funny. I think his sense of humor has gotten better over the years. I, you know, I think he's pretty awkward. He, um, you know, he might be kind of on the spectrum a little bit. Um, but he's pretty funny. And I, I, you know, I like his jokes. I think his sense of humor is pretty funny. You know, I like that he's a troll and that he, <laughs> you know, he doesn't take things too seriously. Um, a lot of the time. Um, and I think someone in his position, you've got to have a sense of humor or you'll probably go insane. Um, so yeah, I, I think he's, I think he's pretty likable. Let's keep playing. Yeah. <laughs> and, you, <laughs> and you seem to laugh it off, which I think is fantastic. I yeah. love it that you have a sense of humor because a guy as important as you who makes changes yeah. could use your powers for evil and not good. The fact yeah, that the absolutely you could, <laughs> I would, of course I would. Yeah. Never. What does his laugh sound like? I can't place it. His laugh. It sounds like somebody's laugh. I can't place it. All right. Let's keep listening. I, I'm going to think about it. His, his, his laugh sounds like somebody's laugh. I can't think of who it is, but maybe you can think of it. If I think of it, I'll I'll blurt it out. But ever use them for evil? That's no, crazy. I know, but uh, but <laughs> the way I know that is because you have a sense of humor. Uh, yeah, you really do. I you try like, to. Yeah, yeah, you like laughing. You like to be I, funny. I, mean, I kill me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's Richard Dreyfus. He sounds like Richard Dreyfus when he laughs. That's incredible. That's so funny. You know, I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna let this keep playing, but I'm gonna try and find a. a so an example of Richard Dreyfuss's laugh, because that's exactly what his laugh sounds like. It sounds just like Richard Dreyfuss. All right, I'll keep playing. No, I, as opposed to somebody like Zuckerberg, who I'm not even sure is a real boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, mean, I, I, I actually love comedy, and, and uh, I still, you know, like... Um, Many years ago, I actually was in the audience here and watched your show. Oh, so really? I've been a long time uh, admirer of your show. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> Let me get back to you being a genius. Okay. So, <laughs> but that has always been my view, is that as a, I was a history major. And when you study history, great. what you realize is that, you know, there's the great man theory. And they talk about kings and princes and queens and presidents. It's really the people in tech who changed the world. They're the people who deal the cards, uh, whether it's fire or electricity or, for good or bad, or the cotton gin or the iPhone or the atom bomb. Those are the cards and the rest of us just play it. I mean, I think Bill Maher's a thousand percent correct here. I, I think he's right. Uh, when you think about the most influential people in world history, I mean, certainly kings and queens and presidents uh, have a huge effect but he's right. I think sometimes the reason the people in power uh, and the decision makers have a huge effect is because of the technology that's available to them at the time. Um, you know, uh, Truman dropping the atomic bomb, obviously that event had a huge impact in, the, in a bunch of different ways on world history. Not, you know, not to mention the people who suffered under that massive explosion. Um, but it wouldn't have been possible without someone like Oppenheimer and someone like Einstein uh, and the people that developed that technology. Um, so it's a, it's a really good point by Mar, and it'll be interesting to hear Musk's response. Um, side note, I did find 
the uh, the exam- the Richard Dreyfus laugh. So the next time he laughs, I will do a, a side by side comparison. Okay, let's keep playing. Would you agree with that assessment? Uh, I think I think technology is the thing that uh, causes these big step changes in in civilization. So obviously you've got things like say the Gutenberg Press, um, before which uh, right it was very difficult to get books. They were yes. very rare. Even if you had a thirst for knowledge, you really couldn't do anything about it because um, there were very few books to read. So, uh, and the the internet is something beyond beyond the Gutenberg book press, I think. But you know, it, it's it's a uh, when I first saw the internet uh, coming into being in a way that that the general public could use it, it felt like the the, the humanity as a whole was uh, developing a nervous system. So previously. Uh, the way the information would travel would be by osmosis, one person to another, or one person calling another. Um, but uh, you did, the access to information was very limited. Now, with the internet, it's like having a nervous system. It's like any part of, of humanity has access to almost all the information of humanity. Hmm. Like you could be in the, in the middle of the Amazon jungle uh, with, a, say, a Starlink terminal and have access to more uh, information uh, than the president did in 1980. Again, a thousand percent correct. And uh, I mean, you could actually argue more information than the president in 1992. I mean, you know, and it's an interesting point he's making about the information and, you know, everyone having basically access to the the entire breadth of human knowledge at their fingertips. Um, It's kind of interesting in contrast to what Tucker Carlson was talking about um, during uh, his little speech at the, the Heritage Foundation during the the Q&A where he was talking about how, um, you know, we have all this information at our fingertips, but it also, because it's all digitized, it lends itself to uh, a, a centralization of information um, and, you know, control of information in fewer and fewer hands. Um, I think you're seeing that with the tech censorship ship and uh, tech censorship um, with companies like YouTube and, and Twitter formally before Elon Musk bought it, um, going to great lengths to control what people can see, what people can find, what kind of videos they can watch, what kind of tweets they can read. Um, so it's sort of an interesting dichotomy there uh, between, yes, we, there's way more information available to us than ever before, but who's controlling that information? How is it getting out there? Um, and, you know, are we better off? You know, it's a, it's a good question. Something really interesting to think about. Let's keep playing. Right. Well, anything on your phone, everything is. Yeah. Okay. So, so you are one of these dealers, these people who deal the cards and I deal some memes too. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> some. Uh... <laughs> um... <laughs> so... Okay. There's the laugh. All right. So let's let's play this clip here of Richard Dreyfuss's laugh and then I'll try to go back a little bit and play his laugh again and we can compare and contrast. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty uncanny. All right. Here's Richard Dreyfuss. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) All right. Now let's go back to Elon here and this most recent little laugh he lets out. Um, I mean, it's exactly the same laugh. It's the same laugh. It's so funny. (laughs) Hang on, let's go back again. 
All right. Here's Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> and here's Elon Musk. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, all right, I'm sorry. I just, I just, I just think that's amazing. We'll keep playing, and I'll keep giving some commentary. But that's pretty funny that they, uh, Richard Dreyfus, Elon Musk, same exact laugh. Maybe they're the same person. Who knows? All right, let's keep playing. So I think a lot of people thought when you bought Twitter that this is kind of an outlier. Like, how does this? What doesn't fit with sure. these other things you're doing? I never thought that. Oh, because yeah. I think you're dealing with big civilizational issues and problems, and I was right on your page. I think Twitter is one of them. I mean, you have talked about this yeah. woke mind virus yes. in really apocalyptic terms. Yeah. I don't. You should explain why you don't think it's hyperbole to say things like it's pushing civilization towards suicide. First of all, what is the woke mind virus? And if we don't deal with this, nothing else can get done. Tell me why you think that. Yeah, so... Um, I think we need to be very cautious about any, anything that is anti-meritocratic um, and anything that, is, uh, that, that results in the suppression of, of free speech. Um, so, you know, those are two of the aspects of the work mind virus that I think are very dangerous, uh, is that it's, it's often anti-meritocratic. You can't, you can't question things. Uh, even the questioning is bad. So, uh, you, know, you, you know, another way to almost anonymous would be, would be cancel culture. And obviously people have tried to cancel you many times. Many times. Yeah, I mean, you're... Every week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from left um, and right. I've had it from both sides. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. People, you and I are both like in that little group of people, maybe it's a bigger group now, yeah. who, who are called conservative, who haven't really changed. I right. don't see think of you as a conservative. I'm definitely... Yeah, like, yeah. So I think that's interesting. Um, yeah, it's almost like anybody who believes in free speech now is considered a conservative. Uh, when I was younger, you know, when I was in college, um, you know, I would have considered myself very much on the left, and I I was a big believer in free speech and free association and all those things, um, freedom of the press certainly. Um, and at the time, especially during, um, you know, even during the Clinton years, but especially during the Bush years, you know, it was the Republicans who were trying to suppress speech, control information, control the press. Um, you know, they wouldn't they wouldn't let journalists take pictures of flag draped coffins uh, coming back from Afghanistan and Iraq. I mean, you know, and um, of course, there was um, the efforts that were led mostly by people on the right to censor music and television shows and um you know, based on family values and Christian values and things like that. So today, just to see that effort to limit free speech coming mostly from the far left is pretty amazing to me. Um, just having grown up, you know, in, in an era where it was completely the opposite. Um, and, you know, I, I think what it comes down to is, is it's really not about um, right or left. I think the right has will always have reasons to censor certain things. Maybe it's based on um, things like family values and Christian values and morality and things like that. And then the left will always have its reasons for censoring information, um, whether it's political in nature, whether it's things they think that it'll help them um, win elections, um, whether they think it's hate speech or whatever it is. Um, what really determines who it is who's censoring speech is who's in power. 
who's in power, who's in control of the culture, who's pulling the levers. And whoever it is, whether it's left or right, they're going to pull the levers that they want to pull in order to control information, control speech. Um, so that's why, you know, in, in this particular moment, people who, um, you know, are, are uh, pro-free speech seem to be con- labeled conservative. Um, you know, I, I don't think for I think if if the right were to take over power again in the culture, I mean, we saw this after 9-11. That was really one of the few times in my life where I can really think that the you know the right wing of America really had control of everything, the government and the culture. Um, you know, some of you might not be old enough to remember this, but I remember the Dixie Chicks being canceled, you know, way back in 2004, 2005 um, for being against the Iraq war. Um, and for saying certain things against the president at the time, George W. Bush, um, they were canceled. I mean, Dixie Chicks were one of the biggest music acts in the entire world, certainly in country music. Um, and they were canceled straight up. And this was 20 years ago. So cancel culture is nothing new. Um, this has been going on for a while. Um, it's just what's different about it. I think what's different about it today is you see it turned on regular people more and more as regular people have entered the conversation via the internet, you've got, you know, you've got truck drivers and secretaries and teachers who can be canceled. Uh, it's not just celebrities and performers and entertainers and politicians and, and, and the like. Um, so it is a little different today, um, with social media, but let's keep playing. Let's hear what else, uh, Elon has to say about this. I, I at least think of myself as a moderate, uh, you know, uh, so I mean, uh, at least the like <laughs> i've spent a massive amount of my life energy building sustainable energy uh you know electric yes. vehicles and and batteries and solar and stuff uh, to help save the environment that's that's not that's not a you know, no, no. It's, it's not exactly far right this is where i, I kind of disagree on this whole idea of environmentalism being a far left idea um maybe the motivations behind it you know, for the left come from a left perspective, but uh, protecting the environment and conservation. I mean, it's right there in the word conservation. It's a conservative ideal, you know, protecting uh, and keeping uh, and preserving what's already there um, and what already exists is the pretty much the fundamental uh, definition of conservative. Um, The liberal um approach to the environment would be to cut down trees and to you know do lots of logging and burn forests and you know dump lots of waste and um you know the the liberal ideal would not be interested in protecting the environment uh it would be interested in progress and moving you know the human race forward and etc 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 it wouldn't be about you know holding back that progress at the expense of protecting you know, the natural environment, that's very much a conservative ideal. And actually, I think it it was conservatives who first initiated a lot of the environmental protections that we have, you know, it was Teddy Roosevelt, who was a who was a progressive at the time, but who people look at as being very conservative. I think he was coming from a conservative place when he started, you know, uh, the National Parks Program. Um, I think it was Nixon who created the EPA and the Clean Water Act and all that stuff was all people on the right. So, you know, this idea that conservation is not a right wing thing, it certainly can be. And, and, and sort of ideologically speaking, um, environmentalism is very conservative. Uh, let, let's keep playing. 
diagram. <laughs> he drew that diagram once where you're yeah. here. I, I related to that. And like the world has changed. Right. I feel the same way. I feel like very often wokeness is, is not building on liberalism. It's the opposite of liberalism. I can mention yes, exactly. many this examples is, where it's the op including free speech. Free speech is actually is, is extremely important. And it's bizarre that we've come to this point where um, like free speech used to be uh, a left or liberal value. Uh, and, and, and yet we, we see uh, from, you know, the in quotes left uh, a desire to actually censor um, and uh, that, that seems crazy. I mean, I, I think we should be extremely concerned about anything that uh, undermines the First Amendment. There's a reason for the First Amendment. Um, the First Amendment is because people came from countries where they could not speak freely and, and, where, and where saying certain things would get you thrown into prison. And they were like, well, we don't want that here. And by the way, in many parts of the world, Including possible that people might think are relatively similar to the United States, the the, the, the speech laws are draconian. England is quite different. I won't name any countries, but um, <laughs> England. Why, why, why are we protecting them? They have no First Amendment. <laughs> it's, it's very uh, easy I, to prove I, libel in England. Whereas I, here, it's I, almost I love England. Um, but, yeah, you uh, too. But, but <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to say the wrong thing. Yeah, that's something a lot of people probably don't know. Is that. Uh, Great Britain and England um, and the countries over there, it's, it's incredibly restrictive on free speech. Um, and he's right, um, especially when it comes to free expression and things like uh, copyright laws and intellectual property. Um, but yeah, the freedom of the press. Um, I think I'm not sure about this, but I think the press is barred from filming not just inside courtrooms, but also outside the courthouse. Um, they're not allowed to film any aspect of that. Um, or report on it, I don't think, on in any way. Um, and there are journalists who have been thrown in prison, I'm pretty sure, um, in England. There's one, that, there's one that's not coming to mind immediately. But, um, you know, people who, journalists who are thrown in prison for covering certain court cases, um, which is pretty wild. I mean, we, we think about, you know, we always like to talk in this country about Vladimir Putin um, arresting and jailing journalists. I mean, this stuff is happening in places like England. Um, and it could certainly happen here. Um, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, let's keep playing. Or, uh, yes, you, you could be sued easier there. I mean, there are law in, in France. I think if you deny the Holocaust, which I think is abhorrent, but I also think it should be part of free speech, right? You can be thrown into jail. Okay. So this, I, I really can't emphasize this enough. We, we must, uh, uh, we must protect free speech, um, and free speech only matters. It's only relevant when it's someone you don't like saying something you don't like, because obviously, free <laughs> speech that you like is uh, yes, you know, that's easy. Um, so it, it's uh, and it's the thing about censorship is that sure for, for those who would advocate it, um, just remember at some point that will be turned on you. So this. Uh, Woke mind virus. How did it start? Was it bats? Was it a, a <laughs> yeah. escape from a lab? I mean, wh what is your assessment of what? Because it's fairly recent. <laughs> why did why? How did it start and why? I was so I was trying to figure out where where it's coming from. I think it's actually been a long time brewing. Um, in that it's, uh, I think it's been going on for a while. Um, it, it it and. Um, 
the, the amount of indoctrination that, that's happening in schools and, and universities is, I think, far beyond what parents realize. Um, and I, I only I sort of came to realize this somewhat, somewhat late. Um, the, the, the experience that we had uh, in, in high school and college is not the experience that, that kids today are having um, and, and hasn't been for, I don't know, 10, 10 years, maybe 20 years. I mean, I can say for sure it's 20 years at least. Um, when I was in college, um, it was it was almost every class I took had a left wing bias for sure. And I can say that because I was very left wing at the time. Um, and I would have been in complete agreement with the professors and the, most of the students in the classroom. And whenever, whenever someone would pipe up um, with a more conservative or a more right wing take on something, even even a moderate take on something, there was a, there was a kid I remember I can't remember his name, but he was, and I wouldn't say it anyway. Um, but I remember he offered like a really middle of the road opinion on something. This was in a, in a class on um, developing nations. Uh, it was a sociology class. And the, the the whole classroom just jumped on him. I mean, just shut him down immediately. It was, I mean, it had to be tough. Um, I don't remember what exactly we were talking about. I just remember that aspect of it. So, yeah, I think Elon's right. It's been around for a long time. Um, what I would add to it is it all of this stuff really started getting into the mainstream culture. Um, and when I say mainstream culture, I mean corporations, entertainment, sports, all of that stuff um, right after the 2008-2009 economic collapse. Um, and it's pretty obvious if you look at the statistics that this was a concerted response to the Occupy movement, the we are the 99% movement, where you had um, left-wing socialists, Bernie Sanders types, joining forces with right-wing Ron Paul libertarian types to say this economy is broken, this economy is rigged. Um, you know, the, the the left and the right in this situation might have disagreed upon what the prescription would be to fix it, but they both agreed on the idea that um, the big corporations and the big government are working together to screw the American people. And what you saw was is that right as this was going on, the mentions of things like. Um, racial justice, uh, um, uh, white privilege, um, you know, all of these things that we've become very accustomed to now in terms of uh, terminology that's in the culture surrounding what some people would call woke, um, the mentions of these terms and these subjects in mainstream media like the New York Times, the, you know, the, um, uh, the LA Times, the Chicago paper, you know, all the major news outlets, MSNBC, CNN, um, increased by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of percent. Um, and what happened was, is that as these sorts of issues started to percolate, it really drove the Occupy movement apart and it really split the Occupy movement. It's a classic example of divide and conquer. Um, and it worked, it worked completely. Um, and as a result, after that fact, you know, that the banks got bigger um, and that you know they've kept doing what they've been doing um, now for coming up coming up on twenty five years, you know, fifteen years uh, since then. Um, but I would say that that would be more sort of the main reason that that the so called wokeness in in culture and in society has become so prevalent. 
is because it works. It works at dividing people. It works at keeping people from trying to come together to find solutions to the problems that we all kind of agree on. Um, um, and it, the, the, you know, focusing on things like race and religion and gender and, you know, those sorts of things, cultural issues uh, are really good at dividing people. Um, and in my opinion, uh, keeping people's attention away from uh, the sort of larger issues, which for me would be things like war, things like um, the debt, things like, you know, the manipulation of the economy, uh, you know, <laughs> things like that. Um, are not anywhere near the top of the echelon of topics that we focus on. Um, so let's keep playing. So, uh, are parents themselves also a big part of the problem? They, well, I, I suppose in some cases that parents, but but I think like the parents are just generally not aware of what their their kids are being taught uh, or, or what they're not being taught. But they're, um, they're letting the kids think that they're well, equal. I mean, yeah. Let me let me let me let me give you an example. That I just want to clarify there. I think what Bill Maher is saying is that <laughs> parents want the kids to think that they're equal to the parents, right? He's not saying that the they're about them being equal to each other, right? He's not. That's not what he's saying there. Because when I first watched this, that's kind of how it sounded. But no, I think what he's saying is is that this idea that kids um, are somehow equal to grown ups and adults, and that's something obviously that Bill Maher has talked about ad nauseum in his stand up and on his show. That a friend of mine told me, which uh, you know, his uh, daughters uh, go to college in, in oh, sorry, go to high school in, in the Bay Area, um, and um, and he he was asking them like, well, so who are the, you know, who are the first few presidents of the United States? Uh, the, 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 they could name Washington, uh, but and I said, well, what do you know about him? Well, he was a slave owner. What else? Right. Exactly. <laughs> Nothing. Right. I'm like, uh, okay, that's maybe you should know more than that. You know. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that, that is the woke mind virus, exactly. Yeah. The fact that they even knew who George Washington was is kind of a shock. Um, you know, you don't have to watch too many of these sort of man-on-the-street videos, you know, jaywalking videos where they're talking to, you know, 17, 18-year-old kids. And, I mean, you know, they probably think, most of them think that George Washington is, you know, some guy from the 1930s or something. Like, they don't have any concept of who or when these people are in general. Um, but yeah, I think he's right. I think, you know, most people, um, most wealthy people at that time were slave owners. Um, the vast, vast majority of people in the country were not slave owners, uh, during the, you know, during the late 1700s, uh, certainly, um, I, th I think something like something like 80% of the entire population was, were either indentured servants or slaves at the, at the time. So, um, but certainly, you know, Almost all of wealthy people, uh, aside from a few like John Adams, I mean, there were some that that were very against slavery uh, consistently. Um, but it would, obviously, this is not like a it's not an interesting sort of weird exception that George Washington's uh, family owned slaves, and I think later on he did um, he did free them later on. Um, uh, I think there was some there were some legal issues with him being able to free his wife's slaves. Um, you know, again, this is it just a different completely different time in human history um and uh it's important to note because i think it is it is interesting in the sense that you know they're trying to talk about men being free and they're owning slaves and that's obviously a huge contradiction so it is interesting in that respect but um it didn't make it didn't make him different than most people uh in his position at the time yeah so, no, no. 
like, exactly. It's it's like <laughs> you know the. Uh, you know, slavery is obviously a, a horrific institution, but we should still know more about George Washington than and, that. And by the way, one that was practiced all over the world yes, yes. forever it, since the beginning of time by every race, yes. including people of color. I'm sorry yes. to tell you that it's huge in the Bible. Absolutely. So Bible it, loves it. We're, we're I, 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 <laughs> really yes. They, they, they're, they're, they're quite strict about like you know, don't take someone else's slave and that kind of thing. Right, but no one ever <laughs> says just don't do it. <laughs> they don't. They don't. They don't. They don't, they don't they, at no point does it say slavery is bad in no, the Bible. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> they do not condemn it at all. <laughs> they just so 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 it's. Um, but Twitter is not doing bad, right? I mean, I saw today that Tucker Carlson yeah. recently fired. You were just on his show and he lost his job, so I hope this isn't an well, Yeah. Yeah, um, but uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, the angel of death. You go yeah, no, exactly. I'm not, not the typhoid Mary of uh, no. talk shows. Uh, <laughs> but his, for some reason, people but just his, get fired out. His rant yesterday or today on Twitter did more, yesterday or something. Uh, or it did more than ago? than yeah. every cable news monologue or yeah. something like that. Is that right? Well, t- Twitter has a tremendous audience. So there's 250 million people that uh, spend an average of half an hour a day on Twitter. So it's about 120 to 130 million user hours per day, and it's been increasing. So um, the, we didn't do anything, to be clear. We did nothing special whatsoever. I, I learned about it afterwards that he had posted something on Twitter. Hmm. Um, so it's just that Twitter has a lot of people's attention. That's kind of strange. Um, he kind of went out of his way there to to let people know that Twitter didn't have anything to do with amplifying Tucker Carlson's video. Um, I haven't heard that accusation, so it's a little strange that he's saying that. Um, it's it's sort of it's sort of like when you when you go out of your way to say that you didn't do something, it's sort of it's almost like an indication that you did. Um, a little strange. So maybe I just missed it. Maybe this is an accusation that's been going around, um, and I missed it. But that is a little odd to throw in there. Bill, I mean, Bill wasn't in any way insinuating. I don't think that that Twitter had something to do with amplifying um, Tucker Carlson's video. Um, so that was a little strange. Let's keep playing. Uh, so, and it, it tends to be the people that are, uh, that read, read a lot or, or are interested in current events um, and um, generally are pretty influential. So, But most of the people who tweet are the same people, right? I mean, the, the people who actually tweet as opposed to just reading it. Yeah. I feel like that's, I've read this many times, that's a very, very small percentage of the people on Twitter. And it seems like, yeah. see, here's why I don't tweet anymore, because you may be the mayor of Tweet Town now. Yeah, and I'm the mayor of Tweet Town. I'm getting a cap with yeah, that. And I'm glad, and I like it that the mayor likes yeah. my jokes. But the reason I don't do it anymore is because the mob of Mean Girls is still there. And that has not changed. I uh, know. Like, it's too easy to get canceled. And I don't even know what pisses them off. They're so nuts, these kids. I feel like I'm walking on sure. a roof with a blindfold. I could fall off any time. Yeah. Uh, th- that was the most innocuous thing. But it's like, you know, I said George Washington was a great president. Oh, how yeah. dare you? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I had some flaws. But, but uh, I, so I, how well, do you uh, fix that? instrumental in the Mr. Mayor. creation of the United States. So, yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah. You have to say, like, well, what does canceled mean? You know, uh, I mean, it's, yes, if people attack you on Twitter, that's one thing. But frankly, that's just going to increase engagement. So I would just ignore it. Well, that's easy for you because they can't yeah. take your job away or any of your main though. 10 jobs. But they could take mine. And they did once, by the way. Yeah. So, okay, well, fair. you know, I was um, like literally canceled. And- <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I think I actually think Elon Musk is right here. Um, mo- most of the time when people get canceled by a Twitter mob, it's because they engage with it and they capitulate to it and they give in to it. Um, the the worst thing you can do is give in to a mob. Um, you know, it, it, you're you're dead meat. You're dead meat. Um, and the mob will take that as admission that you screwed up. Um, even if you did screw up, um, you know, maybe there's a way of addressing, obviously it depends on the issue and the circumstances, but, um, you know, most of, a lot of times people cancel themselves. Um, people who have kind of stood up against this sort of, uh, these sort of attacks on social media have, have weathered, weathered the storm pretty nicely. Even someone like Tucker Carlson, who wasn't canceled per se, I mean, he was fired. It doesn't seem like he was really canceled. Um, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, culturally by, by a, sort of a social media mob. Um, he's going to be fine. He's got an audience. He's going to go online. He's probably going to make more money than ever. He's probably going to get more viewers than ever, as they just discussed. Um, you know, so, you know, I, I think that Elon's right. I think Bill trying is basically off Twitter completely. I mean, his account still posts videos and stuff and links and stuff like that, but he doesn't tweet himself. He doesn't engage with, with people at all. Um, and actually, that that actually might be hurting his Twitter presence and hurting his Twitter following um, by the fact that he's not tweeting. Um, if he could tweet and kind of just ignore the noise, uh, he'd probably be totally fine. Um, and what Bill's saying about Elon's not in, in, at any risk of being canceled. Um, it's not. I mean, Bill's not either, really. Um, I know what he's saying. He's saying that HBO could fire him. Um, based on you know the mob or whatever, and so he's trying to stay out of trouble and and watch his steps so that uh, he doesn't put HBO in a, p- a bad position. And I get that, um, but that's kind of really on HBO. And Bill said he got canceled before; he was canceled off of a, a major network. He had a show on ABC called Politically Incorrect, and he was canceled right after nine eleven. He said that the nine the nine eleven hijackers um, were not cowards. I think that's what he said that got him canceled. Um, and you know it was it was a pretty good point. I mean, he, the point he was making was that you know that when you're willing to kill yourself for something you believe in, it doesn't really make you a coward. It you know it makes you an evil person. Um, you know when you're when you're doing that sort of an act, but a coward, and that's kind of the point he was making. And he got canceled. And look, he's more popular than ever. Um, he was picked up by another company, uh, HBO, um, which at the time was probably a. A step down for him going from a major network and then now today look people prefer stuff on hbo because people can say whatever they want to say and they can use profanity if they want to and they can talk about ideas that might be more controversial and so i i guarantee i bet you bill maher's show between youtube and the streaming on hbo and all that stuff probably gets way more viewers than than he would have had if he was on abc i i i believe that a thousand percent um let's keep playing and we'll try to wrap this up so you but okay so you were in congress uh at congress the other day talking with chuck schumer about ai i'm very interested in this because uh, you've been on this for years i've always yep. thought you were right about this i think you're right about almost everything i mean <laughs> let's have more babies and raise them on mars i don't get that but okay well uh, but, i just think we should be, be, uh, be, be cautious <laughs> about civilizational decline with with and we have plummeting birth rates um most places yeah right and also plummeting resources. I mean, uh, that's no, re- no, we resources will be fine. But they're not. And, fine. and I know a lot about. They're this. not fine now. No, they're, they're, look, I'm not suggesting complacency. 
but we, we do want to move to a sustainable energy economy as, as quickly as possible, but, but we're not in any danger of resource collapse. But lots of people don't have enough food or water. Water. We will run out of water. They, they're, running, no, they're running out of sand. No, sand. This, uh, Earth is 70% water by surface area. Um, and, but you uh, can't drink that. But de- yeah, de- desalination is absurdly cheap. Why don't we do it then? We do it. It is done. You have a lot of free time. It is done. <laughs> there is a lot of desalination done. Okay. Uh, but, there's but, plenty of water. This is not an issue. I want to be clear. All right. So, but let's talk about AI. Because yeah. like you were, you were on this tip 10 years ago when nobody yes. else was. That, and I always yeah. thought he's right. Why? Because I've seen too many movies. Everything that happens in movies yeah. that happens in real life. And, yeah. you know, if you make things that are way smarter than you, why wouldn't they become your overlords? So what did you say to Chuck Schumer, and what are we doing about this? I know you want to pause in AI, yeah. because it, in the, just in the last six months with ChatGPT, mm-hmm. which came from a company you started. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, a friend of mine has a, a sort of modification of Occam's razor, you know, you know, so instead of the simplest thing being the most likely, that like the most ironic outcome is the most likely. Right. Uh, <laughs> right, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, with, with respect to AI... Um, I just think we should be, uh, we should have some sort of regulatory oversight. So, uh, you know, for anything that is a danger to the public, uh, if it's sort of uh, aircraft, uh, cars, uh, food and drug and whatnot, we've got some regulatory oversight, like a referee, essentially, and making sure that uh, companies don't cut corners. So um, I think that since, if one one agrees that uh, AI is a potential risk to the public, then there should be some regulatory body that uh, oversees uh, what companies are doing so that they don't cut corners and potentially do something very dangerous. So I, I, I mean, I disagree with Elon on this. I, I think, you know, man, I mean, we've seen it time and time again. And this was the argument that was made about the Internet, right? The Internet's dangerous. We have to give the government regulatory power and oversight over the Internet. And what did they do? They used that to suppress stories and speech and to, to shut, you know, close people's accounts and kick them off social media. I mean, you had the FBI working in tandem with Twitter, not just to, you know, not to just to catch criminals and terrorists, but to, to literally work on behalf of the current administration um, or the administration, um, I guess in that particular instance that they would rather have in power. Uh, so I think it's very dangerous. I, I, I get the, the fears people have about AI, um, you know, but I, I think <laughs> I think what's going to happen, and he's talking here about the ironic outcome. I mean, he just said the the whatever you do, the most likely outcome is the most ironic one. Well, what would be more ironic than the government taking over and controlling AI, right, with the best of intentions in order to be a referee and make sure that it's used properly um, what would be more ironic than that same government than using it, using AI for malicious purposes, you know, uh, creating deep fakes of foreign leaders um, that they can then pump through official channels and respected media sources so that everyone believes that, you know, uh, some foreign leader somewhere, is, uh, Kim Jong-un um, is saying something um, that could lead us into a war. When he really didn't say it, so you know this is this is kind of a blind spot for Elon. I, I think he, he's not putting the pieces together here. I'm, I'm not claiming to be smarter than Elon Musk. I'm just telling you what I you know. I'm just telling you what I what I'm thinking here and what I'm hearing. Um, I don't get how you can 
say on the one hand, the most likely outcome is the most ironic one. And at the same time, think that regulation uh, is going to help anything here. I, I don't, I think it almost always never helps. It always just leads to more corruption and more people using that regulatory system to their own benefit. Uh, we see this with big corporations. Big corporations love regulation. They love it. Would they rather not have any? Probably. But what they do is, is that they, they use the regulation. It's something called regulatory capture, where they're able, they know that, that smaller businesses and startups are much less likely to be able to compete with them if you know, they have to abide by all these really expensive and costly regulations that these bigger corporations can afford. Right. So a lot of times they push for these regulations because they they know that whatever they whatever money they lose by having to pay um, for these regulations, they're going to make up more than that um, in in less competition. It's it's you know, it's again, it's a very rigged, very corrupt system. Um, So, yeah, I, I think he's I think he's wrong on this account. Let's just play a little bit more and then we'll and then we'll wrap up. That's and if we don't do something, lay out a scenario for me in the next two, five, ten years, if nothing is done, because we're very good at doing nothing, especially when it comes in the way of profit, and this is a big profit engine now for companies, they're going to want to just compete with each other. I mean, there are people like Ray Kurzweil who doesn't think it's a problem at all. Uh, actually, Ray Kurzweil's prediction for artificial superintelligence uh, is 2029. He's not far wrong. Right. But he doesn't think it's a problem, whereas people like oh. you and Bill well, Gates and, uh, and he, Stephen Hawking thought think it's a problem. Um, yeah, it depends. If some people want to live forever or for a much longer period of time, and they see AI as the only way, to, or, or digital superintelligence as, as the only thing that can figure out how to get them to live forever, I think Kurzweil is in that category. So he would prefer to have AI, artificial general intelligence, than, than not, uh, because it can figure out longevity. So that's really interesting. I, you know, a lot of this stuff with AI, uh, you know, it's not just about um, <laughs> artificial intelligence being able to do jobs that other people do and taking jobs away from people and, you know, an, an AI system being able to order your hamburger at McDonald's. Uh, a lot of this is is pushed and developed and, and, and researched by people in very, very high positions who are looking for a way to live forever. And this is something that's gone on for a long, long time throughout human history um, elites, people in power, not, not only do they just not want to give up their power, they want to live, find a way to live forever. Um, and that the AI and artificial intelligence might be a way to do that, where you might actually be able to download your consciousness um, into some sort of a computer system of some kind. I'm not sure exactly how it would work. Um, but uh, if you if you notice that things like ChatGPT and AI are able to coalesce information from all over the entire internet to create things that are very realistic. Um, I saw one that was a, it was a conversation, entire conversation between Joe Rogan and Donald Trump, which has never taken place. Um, and it created this entire conversation on its own. And it could very easily just be an episode of the Joe Rogan experience. So the idea that you could, before you die, um, you know, before you die a bodily death to download your uh, consciousness and then have that consciousness re-uploaded into a human brain, a young human brain, you, in a sense, would be able to live forever. You would just be, you know, you'd have all your memories, you'd have all of your knowledge, you'd have all of your personality, 
all of that stuff would just be uploaded into a new young brain, um, thus enabling, really enabling us to live forever. Uh, and that true death would be some sort of destruction of this, you know, of this microchip or this USB drive that has your consciousness on it. Pretty wild stuff. Um, I think we're going to wrap up there. Um, thank you for listening. Um, just a couple of things real quick. Um, uh, please subscribe to uh, the, the, the channel on YouTube. Um, it's Eric John Pizza Artist. I post all the clips on YouTube, all the little short clips that I take from the podcast. I post them on YouTube. I, I create uh, thumbnails art for all of these things using AI, actually, which is pretty fun. And I'm going to be making those thumbnails uh, available for purchase as NFTs, actually. So it's sort of a fun way to uh, support the podcast if you want to and have a little collectible. Um, these thumbnails are directly linked to clips from the show. And there's actually a hyperlink uh, embedded with the NFT that takes you directly to the clip on YouTube. So it's pretty cool. Um, check out my Twitter at Eric John Art to check that out. I'm on all the podcast uh, platforms. Um, I spend most of my time on Twitter. So again, it's at Eric John Art on Twitter. Please follow me and um, I will talk to you guys soon. You've been listening to the Shut Up You're Always Talking podcast. I gotta go. Go where? We just got I got that thing. I gotta go. With pizza artist Eric John. Uh, wait a couple of minutes. We'll all leave together, okay? This way you don't go out like a bunch of hobos staggering out one at a time. Please like, share, and subscribe.